Red Sputters, welcome to To The Table, our segment where we exchange a movie with one another in this two-person podcast, and we review said given movie. Uh, with me, I have Alexis Soto, and this is our first time doing it together. Uh, the last one that was done was Snowpiercer and Place Me on the Pines, and then before that was The Witch. And uh, what's what did I give? Pe- oh, Casino, Casino Royale. Royale. Yeah, Casino Royale. So uh, check us out every uh, Wednesdays and Fridays. We're gonna have a new to the table for you by uh, two times a week. Yeah, I was gonna say biweekly. Uh, is that is that the correct term? I don't, I'm not sure. No, it's not. It's not. Um, the, the term is weekly. Yeah, basically we, we're gonna uh, yeah. two times uh, two times weekly. Yeah, basically. we're gonna have a Wednesdays new to the Fridays. table for you guys. Uh, so, like I said before, I have Alexis Soto with me. I gave him uh, the Tim Burton classic Big Fish, and he gave me Boyhood, the Richard Linklater uh, classic. Right. I guess. I guess you could call it that. Right. Um. I so we all get we both get thirty minutes each to talk mm-hmm. about the film. Uh, what do we like about it? Um, so yeah, uh, first of all, uh, let's get to the film that you gave well, me. Why, why did you recommend Big Fish to me? First of all, and then well, I'll tell well, you why I recommended Boyhood to you. Is that how it works, or do I? Uh, we'll get to it when uh, we'll get to Big Fish when it's your turn, and then uh, we'll get and then uh, on my turn you'll tell me why you recommended uh, Boyhood to me. Okay. Um, so Alexis, why did you recommend Boyhood? Um, because it's a fucking movie that I fucking love, and I've been trying to fucking get you to fucking watch it. I don't know how many fucking years. Can I say that many fucks? I. Uh, <laughs> Well, this is an explicit. I am not bitter at all, people. This is an I'm explicit. Just, I, uh, I want to say that, okay? Uh, podcast network, <laughs> anyway. So I guess you. No, could literally, get... I've known this guy for I don't know a long time, and yeah. this movie's been out for three plus years now. And uh-huh. every time I've tried to get him to watch this movie, he's like, "Oh, but it's so pretentious." The trailers are like, "Oh, it's Oscar bait." I'm like Alexis Moreno. It's like, "Oh, I don't know." I'm on. I'm. I'm. I'm on a lot of coffee. So, uh, apparently, yeah, a lot of bitter coffee. No, but the I point guess. is, though, I've I've recommended this film on more than one occasion. Yeah, and you've known. It's no secret, I think, to the audience, and you especially, uh, for those of uh, for those of you who have seen B and C. It's no secret. This is this is my number one favorite movie ever. This is your favorite. This is your. This is your Star Wars to me. Uh, Basically, yeah. yeah. So, uh, it's. What can I say about this film? There's a lot to say. Um, it's some of the most trite, convoluted shit that I've ever seen. Mm. Um, it is. It is just uh, the whole twelve span. The, the movie's way too fucking long. Um, I think. No, I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> It's a good movie. It's a good movie. Uh, I think a lot of I think a lot of the things worked. 
um, I I felt uh, I felt nostalgic for certain certain things. Mm-hmm. Like there was one where uh, Mason Mason Junior, which you learned later on that his dad's name is uh, Mason Senior. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Mason Junior is playing like multiplayer Halo, and that brings me back. Um, they go into the Harry Potter uh, book book opening. That that that's a that, that's ripped up from the pages of my childhood. Um, I'm pretty sure with you when you saw uh, when you saw Dragon Ball Z. Oh yeah. When you saw Dragon Ball Z, or uh, I know I know uh, your your uh, your president <laughs> when uh, when it got to the Obama segments. You know that was I know, close to my heart. I know that was close to your that heart. Was very so, much close. Uh, but then also that uh, Star Wars conversation. Of yeah. The father and son. When when uh, they were like, "Do you think they'll ever make another Star Wars?" And <laughs> I let out a Ron Howard moment. I'm like, they did. <laughs> uh, and a lot of things uh, like uh, Patricia Arquette, I guess her name is Olivia. Um, the mom, pretty much. Yeah, like she she goes uh, goes from a shitty husband to shitty husband. And I thought at the end, oh, they're going to she's going to uh, she's going to get with uh, Ethan Hawke again at the end. But I'm like, no. And, that, and that's a very realistic tone. Sometimes. Parents don't get together, you know, and that's that's a part of the circle of life, you know. And uh, another thing, the the kid that they got, uh, he's very, uh, uh, what, I don't know what his name is. The actor, uh, uh, Lr Col- Lr Coltrane. Oh, or Col- that, okay. Yeah. Uh, I found him very uh, very likable and what he's going through. You did, yeah. I like wonderful. I liked what I, he was very likable because going in, I thought he was just going to be like a, a shitty kid mm. uh, throughout the whole thing. But no, he's like genuinely trying. You know, you see him uh, go from a uh, he has like a, he he goes from job to job and all that stuff. He's trying to find his own way, um, and then when he goes into his like more experimental phase. Um, he's sticking a lot he's sticking a lot of time in the in the red room uh you know looking at his uh, at his photos and he's just observing his art and all that stuff and uh, and it's he's just trying to find his way into the world and the way that uh, he explained it i think he was talking to his girlfriend uh or ex-girlfriend now in the movie uh he was like saying, you know, I'm I'm confused, and you know, my mom is just as confused, you know, PhDs and everything, and uh, and uh, that that rings true. That rings true. Sometimes parents don't always have the answer. Sometimes uh, a lot of things, like in the beginning, uh, she had this uh, in the beginning. Uh, she's going, you know, she has a lot of, she sees a lot of promise in these guys that she's going out with. But then uh, throughout the whole thing, it turns out that there's a lot more layers underneath the surface of these guys that she's going out with. Then. And one's like an abusive drunk. Another one's uh, uh, more uptight and more... Uh, and more dickish and another one's uh more come on you got to go out and and fuck these kids pretty much you know so you get you see patricia arquette's uh, characters uh uh you know plight through that and uh, also another thing you see a lot of uh, growth with ethan Hawke's character his character is more uh his character is like the loosey-goosey dad yeah kids have fries or for for dinner have you know all you know uh, go to bed without doing your homework or doing anything like that. 
And you see a little bit of progression as uh, as his character goes on. You know, the next time that you see him, you know, the kids are a little bit older. They're they're in their preteens. Um, and uh, the girl, the girl uh, Sam, I think that's her name. Uh, she she's talking like like this and and all that. She's like a typical teenage stuff. And then in the in the beginning, she was singing Britney Spears. Uh, you know, uh, classic songs, by the way. <laughs> uh, and I think that uh, you see these growths with these characters, and. Uh, I don't think it would have been as believable uh, if they hired different actors for each of the stages of their lives. Um, and that was and that's something that, you know, uh, it really brought a more uh, emotional connection to every one of these characters, because you literally it's like it's like watching uh it's like watching uh, the Wonder Years or uh, Saved by the Bell or something like that, you know, where you watch these characters from like when they're like in their preteens or something like that, when and then when they're small children, they start. That, you realize that the it's actor, a, yeah, both of them, the um, as far as L R Coltrane, excuse me, he began as a six-year-old boy, right? I think I, I remember that it was around six or seven years of age, maybe eight, but it ended when he was eighteen. Mm-hmm. At least, uh, not the actor, but more or less the character begins with him being six and then it goes, or seven or eight, whatever, then into 18. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But uh, going back to Ethan Hawke's character, I went in a complete circle, but uh, Ethan Hawke's character, at first, you know, he's like, he's kind of carefree, smoking in front of the kids and, and all that, like not giving a not giving a shit about like what 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 the stakes are with the, you know, raising a kid. But then, uh, you see like little increments of that, you know, he, he's like, come on, open up to me. I'm your dad, you know, talk, you know, cause these kids are like quiet and all that stuff. Uh, and they kind of came out of a really shitty situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, you say, come on, talk to me. Let's, let's, let's do this. Then at the end, He's, like, very concerned about, like, you know, the condition of her eardrums or something like that. You know, like, are you going to sleep with your earbuds on? And did you brush your teeth to the to the little girl, Sam? And just little stuff like that, you know, stuff like that. And then and then later when you see him, uh, he, he's he's full on uh, he's a full on Bible Belt dad mode, you know, and it's pretty cool. You know, he's like he he, he has a piece of wheat sticking out of his uh, out of his mouth and he's he's become full uh full uh full parent mode as a mustache and everything and then he has a he has a as a mom you know mm. he has a he has a he has a wife i guess he, re- he remarried yeah he remarried and they have a kid now and so you see the growth that uh he had and then at the end he's like saying you know if your mom would have waited 12 years <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe this, maybe this would have, uh, maybe this thing would have worked out in the end. But, uh, but uh, you realize that both parents are struggling at growing. You know, and that, and it's not just, it's not just uh, Mason Junior's story. You know, it's everybody else's story. I mean, you see. Uh, you see uh, the mom, Patricia Arquette, and you see Ethan Hawke, and they're growing as well with their kids. And that's that's a realistic uh, point of view that you see 
the the parents grow with their kid and that and that's a whole part of the family dynamic i mean they learn a lot of lessons along the way like he learns a little bit about like mason uh, jr he learns a lot about himself uh patricia she's like you know at the end of the day i'm gonna be you know i'm gonna be uh, six feet under you know and just like that kind of self-realization that uh, really like wow that's that's something uh human you know, that's all. That, that's what I could describe this movie is that it's very human, and you see all that. Um, I could see it why wasn't it wasn't pretentious. I could see. <laughs> okay, I could see why a lot of people would be like, "Oh, this is an Oscar bait film," um, uh, because it is heavily, heavily ambitious. It is. Uh, it is a really ambitious film to start from like 2000. I read up on uh, IMDb and it was like 2002 or something like that. They started and they finished in uh, in like 2014 or 2000. Uh, I want to say 12 or 13. Something yeah. something like that. And I I was like, you know, that Richard, you have a lot of balls <laughs> to do this because you know a lot of things could change. You know, and it's risky over 12 years. One of the kid actors could have died. Um, you know, uh, Samus's daughter, right? Yeah. There was a point where she didn't want to do the movie anymore. Yeah, she wanted, she, like, there was, like, this. Halfway through, she was, she like, wanted She wanted her character to be killed off. But yeah. then she was, like, I guess uh, re, she reestablished her uh, her uh, her interest in the movie. That's the thing about making a movie over the span of 12 years. It's, like, it could have been shut down for any number of reasons. Yeah, and then, uh, and then Richard told uh, Patricia, don't get any plastic surgery. <laughs> um, just, like, little stuff like that, you know, just, just that extra... Extra measure, and uh, she won an Oscar yeah, for for her actress. for her role, and uh, mm-hmm. well deserved. Ethan Hawke was also nominated. You know, for uh, Ethan Hawke. I think he should have gotten it because the way that he played the dad. I'm like, you know what? You're a cool dad. You're I a think cool Jared dad. Little got it that year. Oh, I oh. think. But if, if that's the case, then Jared Little probably should have gotten it because the because the Academy Award wanted more honk honk honk. <laughs> um, but anyway, I digress. I. A lot of things worked for me about this movie. Surprisingly, I was like, "Okay, here we go, here we go." I'm ready for the sappiness and all. I, some things were funny, you know. Uh, I I think about this movie though, and I think that's one of the reasons why it works for you. It doesn't really dwell on being sappy. Yeah, it's not a focus of that like most movies. It's just the it's just this family yeah. uh, living their life, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much it. You know, it's life uh, represented within this span of twelve years, and to shoot it and consistently because you know I would have because I thought that you know look going in I thought that some things would be inconsistent in terms of like filming styles mm-hmm. and techniques and all that stuff but no he uh, Linklater kept it kept it consistent he filmed with the thirty five millimeter camera Kodak camera I think that kind of added to the intimacy because Kodak. Um, is known for like small little intimate uh, cameras, and he filmed with that, with an intimate little little family camera, and that kind of added, it kind of added this kind of uh, I don't what's the what's the term I guess like family video 
kind of home movies, home movie uh, quality to it, and I, I I like that. Like there was a little bit of graininess in there too, uh, so that was it was like somebody took their their Sony Handycam and started like, okay guys, let's follow you guys for twelve years and let's see what what it comes out to when edit the pieces later. Um, yeah, I mean, I I feel this I feel this family's uh, I guess journey of self discovery, and that that was a that was a huge huge thing for me. Um, I I, I kind of want uh, that uh, that uh, black album that uh, <laughs> Ethan Hawke makes for uh, for Mason. I'm like I I kind of want that. I want I want the unofficial <laughs> album. Um, they have uh, they have stuff like uh, like Soak Up the Sun from Shell Crow. They have a uh, Yellow from uh, Coldplay. It's a great soundtrack. Band on the Run. You know, a little interesting fact about the soundtrack is. Uh, those songs were handpicked by Linklater as uh, the movie was being made at the time of their release. So, and that's one of the things you have to keep in mind about what Linklater was doing with this film. Mm-hmm. When it comes to all the songs on the soundtrack that you hear, they were, he had to had really go off on a limb and assume that there were going to be memorable songs. He didn't pick these like at the last minute off the fly. Because they were hits. Yeah, but... He picked them as the way. What I'm trying to say is he had to have the foresight um, to tell that this was a great song worthy of including it. But it also has the added effect of capturing that moment in time. We had already discussed, Kyle, about the references to like Harry Potter and Dragon Ball Z and Star Wars. First of all, he had to really bet that those things were number one important to people and number two they would be remembered in 10 years yeah like halo still remembered in 10 years uh dragon ball z yeah. still fondly remembered uh harry potter fondly remembered um the music scene and all that stuff is still going on mm-hmm. to this day that then mason uh, goes through um and uh, that uh, i don't know it's special. Somewhat, there's something special about that, you know? Something very personal about the whole thing. You know, I'm very happy you liked it um, because this is one of the films. No, yeah, I know. But I found this is one of the films where I've actually had a lot of friends approach me about it and ask me if I've seen it. Uh, friends I wouldn't think to ask about movies in general. Mm-hmm. They just come up to me and say, hey, have you seen this film called Boyhood? And I'm like, why? Uh, I already know, but I want to see what they thought of it. And in most cases, they're, um, I, I really enjoyed it. It was really good. And I, I, I think what you said, Kyle, about the fact that this is just very genuine and it feels real, mm-hmm. I think that aspect of it really allows itself to appeal to pretty much everyone. Uh, I, uh, there's so many things to say about this movie. Uh, I think Kyle pretty much hit the nail on most of them at this point. Um, I just, I, I feel this is a very special movie, like what Kyle said in general. Yeah. Because 
you don't and it's not really based in like on, on the ambitious part of it about the whole 12 years thing that could have easily been a gimmick and I think a lot of people these days and even back then when it was released assumed it was just a gimmick to get people to watch the movie but when you realize when you're watching this thing is it's not a gimmick it's actually effective in making sure that this storytelling the story is being told in the way that it should have been because we've never seen this before you I don't recall it's not like a movie like let's say uh let's say recently um moonlight not not to single out moonlight I, I think that's an incredible film uh but the thing with moonlight it takes a different approach where it's like every every the structure of the film takes place across several years but you get different actors to play the same characters and we see that so many times mm-hmm. with this movie you it's have the same actor the same cast from uh you see Patricia Arquette and Ethan Hawke themselves age, age, yeah, naturally, and that and that's that's very rare, you know. Usually, it t- takes like makeup and all mm-hmm. that stuff, but no, that's that's their actual face. That's their actual way of like like uh, doing it, and uh, and that kind of makes it. it there's a more touch to uh, genuinity, yeah, in that in that in that term. Uh, and so I, I, I physically, you know, I physically and emotionally found this. Um, I get what you meant at the end of the of the film uh, when you saw it for the first time, and uh, when you're like, okay, I, I have to take a walk, like an emotional walk or something like that. Um, I had, I had to have a cup of tea. Really? I had to have a cup of tea. At there the was end. this really weird thing because Kyle actually uh, he was watching this late last night and he uh, uh, he was messaging uh, out of nowhere. He says, "I feel inspired." I do feel. I did feel inspired, and I got some uh, some writing done on my uh, on my project uh, that I'm currently working on. Let me let me say this because I this is what I think really works about the movie for me. Is in this movie, I I see a lot of myself and a lot of um, even though the family structure and situation of Mason and his family is nothing like mine, there is still so much going on that you can personally connect with. Whether it is it's when he's growing up or when he's um, literally about to graduate, has no idea what to do, and trying to discover all these different things. We are at a point in our lives where we've we've experienced those things. We've experienced being mm-hmm. growing up and what that feels like and what it really is. But then also we've also experienced uh, what it is when we get there. What none of us really expect expected this to be what growing up was going to be like when exactly. we were when we were small. Yeah, and I remember when it when it ended. It was it was interesting because for me, and this is really a personal story, is I was just not in a good place mentally that year. Things had happened and I, I don't want to dwell on, but what was so nice about this movie is because it is a collection of almost home videos. You see these, this, this family and get attached to them. And it's filmed almost like a home yeah, video. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it, has an, it has two effects for me. It made me remember aspects of my life. It made me think back to memories I hadn't thought of in such a long time. But mm-hmm. because of the way it ends, it also just makes you feel hopeful and inspired 
that because of what you did to get there, you can make it through mm-hmm. and you can overcome. And like, I, I told, like, you, like, I'm glad you had that response because I, I, I was inspired. I was, me, myself, I was rejuvenated by this movie. And I wasn't expecting it to look. Full disclosure, going into this, <clears throat> I was expecting to like it. I wasn't expecting to, to fall in love with it. I, I can't... The reason why this movie is definitive, definitively my favorite is because of the emotional response it triggered within me. Do you know how you got, Kyle, at the end of Rogue One? Yes. You were... I was sobbing for 10 minutes straight. Uh, the way I felt after Rogue One was because uh, uh, it, it harkened back to why I fell in love with film in the first place. Uh, it, my favorite film of all time, as as I've said many times in mm-hmm. the Red Spotlight Entertainment podcasts, is that my favorite film of all time is the first Star Wars. The theatrical cut of Star Wars, mind you, but uh, Star Wars nonetheless. And... At the end, how it tied in with that film so perfectly, so seamlessly, mm-hmm. I I couldn't help but cry. I still cry at the end of Rogue One. But um, that night in particular was an explosion that, of emotion. That night, because I saw like all this stuff, I've been rooting for these for these uh, people to get the Death Star plans, and then at the end, and then at the end when uh, when it's 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 Leia, you know, and she's the first constant. That I knew in the Star Wars uh, universe, um, because all these other characters, yeah, it was R two D two and C three PO, but they were. And this is before Carrie Fisher passed away. Yeah, and they weren't humans. Mm-hmm. The first human that I was like, "Oh, you're somebody of importance, Princess Leia," and that that was when I was like, "It brought you okay. back." Okay, and then when I saw her face, yeah, a lot of people are like bitching and moaning about the about the CG Leia. Get your get the fuck over yourselves. Um, I saw that and I'm like, it's Leia. And then she said, and then she said, uh, hope. And, uh, it cut to cut to black. And, uh, because it was emotional wreck before that because of Darth Vader and him slicing through all the rebels and all that shit. But then, uh, you get to the end and you get to what he, what, what the rebels are doing. All these people didn't die for nothing. The rebels, uh, did destroy the death star at the end. Um, and I, my spirit was lifted. It reminded me why I loved film mm-hmm. to begin with, and that was because of of uh, emotionalities. It, it really, it really put me into this position that I was when I was six years old watching Star Wars for the very first. Now, time. how long would you say you were sobbing after the movie concluded? Ten minutes. Imagine that for two hours. Oh, you cried for two hours. Wow. Holy shit! No, I, I I rarely I very rarely let people see me cry, I, if if at all. But I'm not I'm not somebody who holds back. It's, that's why I enjoy watching films alone because you get to you get to experience it one on one level. Yeah, it's more intimate. It's much more intimate, really. But like I told you, I was I wasn't expecting to fall in love with it. But the minute it ended. Well, I mean, no, not the minute. It, there was so many points 
that appealed to me personally, but mm-hmm. I, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to, uh, to see where I got really emotional because at that point I was transitioning, beginning the transition process from community college to uh, university. So Mason, as the movie is ending, he is leaving home and going to school, leaving away. And I was about to forego a very, very similar experience. And that moment, and I think it was personal, much more personal to you. It was very personal because it gave me a preview of what to expect when Mason is, he has all his stuff and he's loaded up a truck and he's about to leave for school. And it's just that final moment. It's, it's, uh, for those who haven't seen the film, think of the scene in Toy Story 3 where Andy's mom and Andy walk into the room for the last time. See that it's all been packed up and see how she gets. Now imagine this on a much more heartbreaking level because you really get to see what it is to be a parent and experience that because and you see how heartbroken she was it's like what's next my funeral is this all it was supposed to be i thought i would have gotten more out of it and i remember when i was watching this with my mom uh later on and when we got to that scene is she she was agreeing and that's exactly what she what she felt like. I mean, I, I know for from my personal experience, because I've completed a year at, at university at UC San Diego, and I know the transition was a lot more easy for me than it was for her. It was hard for her. And it's it, I think it's an aspect that a lot of us don't appreciate much is once we're out of their lives, what do they have left? And it's a sad commentary, but it's like, what do you do at that point? And then when he's driving away in the truck, and I think the song comes on, Hero by Family of the Year. Um, and it, I was bawling then. And then after the movie, just to, to, uh, to say to you very eloquently, when the film ended, I was pretty much what Kyle was doing on a much more, I would say, <laughs> a lot longer than he did. But because I was thinking about my entire life, and the more I thought about it, the more I realized what I had just witnessed, what I had just experienced, was the story of my life and the story of my childhood. And the more I realized that there may have been some unresolved issues with my childhood that I hadn't faced up until watching this movie. It wasn't until I saw this film that I had realized, man, did I have a good childhood after all. It made me really appreciate and value the family that I had because of what I saw and the, the tragedy really of this family is, it's a rotating list of people who come in and out of the family. Yeah. Um, with that being said, it's also like there are specific callbacks that really just bless you. Thank like, you. That get back to you. Like for me, I know that, that hit me on an emotional core was and one of my favorite scenes in the film when Ethan Hawke is with, uh, with Sam and with, uh, with Mason. And 
they're they're helping their dad put up Obama signs, and I think yeah. he's trying to kick down McCain signs. <laughs> he's like, too. here, grab the grab the McCain <laughs> sign, go go go. <laughs> And it's like I didn't have that experience with my father. My father is not a political man at all. Uh, my family isn't political. Surprisingly, I, I, that was a passion that I had within myself. But that was the year. That was the election. And that was the candidate that was my stepping stone into this world of politics that I am now seeking, seeking a profession in. Mm-hmm. And it was... Look, I can go on for hours and hours. The simplest thing I can say is, for me, and for what I have experienced and for who I am, this movie works on every level. And it breaks my heart that it it seemingly has been tossed to the side. And it's not, look, 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 I want to I wanna get this clear. I don't need anybody else to validate how I feel about a movie. However... It does make you perk up and it does make you listen. How it is that a movie you adore so much is at some points hated by other people. And it's not as if like, look, if you hated it, you hated it. I can't do anything about that. I'm not going to cry over spilled milk. But on the other hand, you do wonder is like, what is it about that movie that you, you despise so much? And... A lot of people these days, and I'm sure you, you, you yourself has heard, have heard this, is that it has been widely dismissed as uh, a gimmicky. And, you know, one of the things, one of the complaints that this movie gets is that uh, when that, why I was surprised that you enjoyed Mason and the characters because a lot of the people that you and I watch uh, for reviews and blogs and that kind of stuff, a lot of them really were pessimistic about the acting. They didn't find the characters likable at all. They didn't like Mason to begin with at all for the entire movie. Um, and they just thought that this would have been so much better uh, if this were much more scripted and, and, like, and wound. Well, so it, basically, they wanted this to be Moonlight. And you saw when Moonlight come out, the emotional response that they got. Because with, when Moonlight, even though Moonlight is great, you know you're watching a movie. What I love about this movie is that you forget you're watching a movie and you start like you're watching yes, home videos. Exactly. And that's, and that's, and that's a, the point of it. And that's an added uh, level of, uh, of enjoyingness. So uh, final thoughts on the movie is that I liked it. Uh, it was uh, it, a lot of moments where it worked for me. Thank um, God you liked it. Honestly, uh, the acting, the acting uh, in terms, of, you you see these people grow, and yeah. that and that's a uh, that's a uh, that's something that uh, that I don't think that a lot of movies do. You see them genuinely grow because you start from when they're like little freaking tykes, they're they're freaking shitting their pants still, and they're 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 snot nosed boogery kids, and then you get to their, you know, they're they're still boogery kids, but they're grown boogery kids. <laughs> so you you get the this uh, this genuine factor out of seeing them like personally grow, and a lot of people who are like, oh, this is very. Uh, Gimmicky? Is it truly gimmicky if you're filming for twelve years? <laughs> Honestly, um, if, if it was a gimmick, you would you would make other uh, you would make other like you would make it more scripted and then make it feel like like what Boyhood did. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I I don't know. I, I felt like the, this had a lot more uh, genuinity in it so I'm yeah. sure Peter Martinez is laughing somewhere in the world yeah <laughs> laughing vigorously um anyway at you and me particularly 
anyway, has he seen it? Yeah. Oh, what did he? What He's did he? on the red letter media side of things. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. So, Alexis Soto, I had you watch Big Fish. Such emotional movies. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had you watch Big Fish because I I thought that this film was one of Burton's best. You know, it's auto, it's got to be in the top five tier of his movie uh, movie uh, library. Uh, I I cry at the end of the movie. Uh, it's a very uh, it's a very uh, personal movie between a between a father and a son, and that's what you get out of it. Yeah, it does focus on uh, Albert Finney slash Ewan McGregor's character, but by and large, it's a story about a father and his son. And uh, it's almost Spielbergian. Uh, uh, and uh, I thought that you would be uh, very interested in this movie for what it does storytelling wise. And it is a very different uh, Tim Burton film than you normally see. Yeah, you do see Danny DeVito and Helena Bonham Carter in the movie. But overall, it is a very different approach in which Tim Burton makes movies. Um, he didn't make it under uh, under Warner Brothers. He made it under Columbia Pictures, I think. So uh, it just it's a different uh, way that Tim Burton made it, and I wanted you to see the broad horizons in which he could uh, in which he could film things. So Alexis Soto, tell me what you thought of Big Fish. This was stupid. <laughs> okay, tell me why. No, this is great. This is a great movie. Uh, it's okay. Big Fish is um, probably one of the most uh, unlike Burton films, and yet still very much Burton that I have seen. Because, you know, the way the movie starts, you, uh, you expect that you're getting into a very emotional movie. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like um, the end of the life of the father and the irreconcilable differences between the father and the son. And then when you realize that um, half of the movie is literally uh, the stories that the father had told his son all his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, first... I was somewhat struck, if, but then it kind of like made sense when like the fantastical f- like fantasy elements came into it. Uh-huh. Then I realized, oh, it's Tim Burton. <laughs> but I that, mean, but it, but it. It's kinda... not. No, no, hold up. It's not a bad thing at all. It, it, it's not for me. It, it's not that it dis- it's distracting. I think it actually adds to the benefit of the film uh-huh. because it is so out there. It is so unique and it's so untouchable. Nothing that has tried to go uh, to hit the emotional beats that Big Fish did has attempted it in such a way. And I think it is so brilliant. First of all, I want to start off with the performances. Albert Finney. Yeah. Ewan McGregor. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're playing the same character, but like you, you believe it. You believe that that person... Is the exa- is Albert Finney when he ages? The the way that I that I see this film is uh, basically 
it's such a, a heartwarming tale because you approach, you begin off with such a fragmented relationship between the father and the son, and you really want to understand what it is about um, the father the father that the son doesn't really like about um, what's his name uh, the character <sighs> Edward Bloom yes Edward Bloom yeah and like for the most part I was really like all of the of the side adventures that he has are very intriguing and ridiculous but very funny and they're great stories <laughs> But you kind of get where the son is coming from because uh, all this life he's been telling these fantastical stories. How the hell hell are any of these things true? But he's never uh, let the real Edward Bloom show, you know, and that and so he's never felt like he's known his dad. Yeah. You know, and that that's where you get the the Mm -hmm. son's plight from. Right. Um, And. It honestly was it was just great great storytelling and great pacing and just it's amazing to go from Edward Bloom you see his life from from the town that he was in when he meets uh, his giant friend yeah and then when he goes to Spectre and then when he meets the love of his life and then Danny DeVito is in there too yeah uh Steve Buscemi is right. in there. It has an all-star cast. By all means, yes, it has a great cast. Um, and for me, I just... I mean, it was very easy to buy into. Definitely. And you really begin to feel for both of the father and the son because you see that they both have issues with each other that are um, more or less warranted. Strained. And basically, all they've had to to know each other with it are all of these stories. And one of the, the running things for me is at what point, uh, and basically what the son is trying to find out is where does where is the, where does the truth end in all of these fantastical stories? Like what? How much of it is true? How much of it is not? And that's one of the things that kept me wondering when I was watching this is how much of this is actually true and how much of this is just a little bit of added bonus to it. Mm-hmm. And it goes on and goes on and it goes on, but you don't really see until the third act where you, where things begin to fall into place very, uh, very much perfectly. When you see the son visit Helena Bonham Carter, Jenny, yeah, uh, and she recounts the story when uh, uh, Edward... Yeah. came back into Spectre and how he helped the town pretty much radi- radiator springs that shit. Yeah. We'll go ahead and, ter- and coin, coin that term. Um, and you see at that moment, uh, you knew she always loved him, but you know he didn't love her. And the sons all, all but had already assumed that his father had cheated on his, on his mother. And then you see in that moment when she leans in to kiss him and then when he says no that's the real Edward Bloom and that's when you realize this guy's real he, mm. he didn't make up versions of himself yeah he may have plussed the stories but the, the, the real catch is at everything you had witnessed that was Edward Bloom being Edward Bloom yeah. and at that point 
Um, and then when we get to the the scene in the hospital, when uh, the doctor—I don't remember his name—he's uh, played Connors. by a Robert Robert Gulliam. Right. Like he's the same guy who does the voice of Rafiki in The Lion King. Really? Yeah. Okay. So we get in that scene where uh, um, Edward had just had the stroke, and his son is by his side, and the doctor, uh, as he is about to leave tells him the real story of how he was born mm-hmm. and it's at that moment when you realize because of how bland and uninteresting uh, his birth was that I think it's in that moment where he understands that all of this time uh, Edward had basically not made things up but there are aspects of which that were concocted to enhance uh, the experience, to enhance his reality with these versions of what he had made. At that point, he begins to really understand Edward for the first time as to, Mm. you know what? Son of a bitch was being real with me the whole time, and I didn't realize it. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, I, I can't come up with a word. And then we get to the final stretch of the film. And that's yeah. when the waterworks start pouring in. Because, uh, what was it? You know his death is coming. The movie had been telegraphing that, and you, know for, you, you just know it in your gut when you feel it's about to happen. Yeah. And he knows it, and so does Edward know it. And I can't think of a better way to, uh, to help someone who's about to die uh, make peace with that because you see his son for the first time tell a story tell a story and embrace that aspect and you, for the first time in the entire film you see these two connect perfectly and how in the, the fantastical version of the story that he tells how they escape the hospital and yeah. the edge of the river and you see everybody he'd ever met and as he says goodbye to them and then how his life ends, he becomes the big fish. And then that final scene, yeah, when that final scene where he 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 sees Jessica Lange's character, yeah. and then they and then he gives the golden ring, which started the whole story right. story and the whole thing. Give her the golden ring, and then and then pretty much take off as a fish yeah. in the water. That, that was a perfectly executed scene, but yeah. they got better. I think for me, when uh. When the funeral happened, it was all very solemn and quiet. But then what was really magical about that is that, what the fuck? These people are real. Yeah. They're popping out of nowhere. The and giant, you know, the, yeah. the, cir- the um, right, Danny, Danny DeVito, DeVito circus thing, uh, Carter, like, uh, the Siamese twins, right, like, uh, Steve Buscemi is there. Yeah, they're like, all. They're, they're real. And it, it's a, like, I had thought that maybe maybe he wasn't. Maybe they weren't real. And then like, oh, wait, they are. Yeah. And they're all in that ceremony. And then, and what was really special about this, and it kind of crept up on me. I wasn't expecting to cry, but I don't know what it was. It was in that transition when, um, after the funeral had concluded and you Mm. see, um, Edward's family and then his friends, they're all together they're in little groups of circles, and they're all... They're all conversing, talking about his all, legacy. Just, they're just talking about him. Yeah. 
And out of nowhere, I, I, I just began to cry because it, it, I didn't see it coming because it made me realize nothing truly ever is dead. That after you, you, you move on, that what you leave behind are the stories. What you leave behind are the memories that you made with all of these people. And, you know, I'm someone to, to who... To quote the doctor, we're all just stories in the end. Right, yeah. But, um, you know, I'm someone who's very much uh, fearful of, uh, of mortality, of death, and I haven't... And I don't think I've ever seen something as close as to Big Fish that can help reconcile that, that fear, because when you realize... At the end, all we have are the stories. And in the end, it's the stories that make you immortal, that make you yeah. live on. Uh, the, what, what really did it for me was, uh, was seeing uh, at the end, like he's, his spirit lives on. Yeah. And you see the little fish yeah. in the pond, you know, and, and that's the kind of like the, the moral. <clears throat> you're, just a, you're just a big fish swimming in a small pond. You know, like his like his big personality is not big enough is not uh is uh is too big for this world. You know, that's basically what I got from it. And uh the acting from everybody, uh Jessica Lang, she's great. Uh you have Marion Cotillard, she's in there. Um you it's have a great cast. <laughs> Billy Crudup, uh Steve Buscemi, you have uh what what's it, Helena Bum Carter, Dave, Dave, Danny DeVito, um you had a young Miley Cyrus in there, yeah, stored it somewhere. Uh, so it, it, you have this big old cast, and mm-hmm. it, and it's so fantastical. But then at the end of the day, uh, you're looking at this cast, and they're not uh, they're actors or these characters. You know, you you like when they when he gets to Spectre, you know, and he and he sees the you know the people in the town, uh, they. Like the way they, they interact with them, like they have not had company in a while. You could tell. And so when they when they have company, they're like, Oh yay, throw up your welcome mat, throw it out and everything. And then uh, and then you get to the to the part where he's like, you know, in the in the war. When he's trying to get uh his uh his uh Sandra Templeton, uh when he's trying to get her affection, you know, he's like, Sandra Templeton, I love you and I will marry you and just like the way little ways that he tries to do it and it's very charming. And at the end when he's like in that in the um in the field of daffodils, which is one of the most iconic moments of the movie, um you 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 get this kind of surreal realism, and that's the way I could describe this film. It's a surreal realism, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, a lot of the stuff is sugar coated. But uh, would you rather hear the real version or the sugar coated version? I think that's an important commentary that we have to have. Is at the end, really, would you rather have the real events of things, or would you rather have something that? You can remember that you can hold on to. Yeah, like okay. For example, <clears throat> you were born in a hospital such and such date at such and such time. The end. Or would you rather say, "Oh, bombs were going off in the corner. I was stranded, you know, in a in a in a coffin, surrounded by zombies." But then your mom, she was she was needed, you know, and so I had to go and you know have you, you know, just like little stuff like that is like. 
fantastical. That's all I could describe this movie is that it's a very fantastical. And I think what makes it so powerful, and I was reading up on this, is at the time, Burton had recently lost both of his parents. Mm -hmm. This was made, I think, in 2002, came out in 2003. And one of the things that um, really inspired him is because his father went first. And then a month before he began filming, his mother went. So this was, on every level, as much of a personal story to Tim Burton as it was to... I think this is easily my favorite Tim Burton film I've seen. It's just... uh, It hits when it really hits. And it's quintessential Burton on every level. And it's really... It's crazy because, like I said earlier, is that he has a lot of highs and lows. The, The film he did prior... Was the Planet of the Apes? So when you go from that to this, it's it's crazy. It is very crazy, and I want to see more of him. And I, I've I've seen a good amount of Burton, but I I need to see more of his classic classic stuff. And yeah. I know that he is one of your favorite directors, right? Yeah, uh, Beetlejuice. You got to see Edward Scissorhands. You got to see. Um, Which is why we're doing this show, by the way. So we can see more movies. So we could see more movies and talk about this because there's a lot of movies that I've seen that you haven't seen. There's a lot of movies that you've seen that I haven't seen. And for sure as hell, there's a lot of movies that Peter has seen. Especially (laughs) Peter. Like, what does he know? That that we haven't seen. You know nothing, Jon Snow. (laughs) Um, But What a fraud. uh, You're a hack fraud. (laughs) Uh, uh, I think... uh, there's a lot of fantastical elements in uh, Big Fish, to be sure. And but hey, it's just a great movie, and it's great storytelling. Exactly, I, it's it's and incredible. The, and the way that you know he shoots things, the color grading of the film, very, very saturated yellows, very, mm. very glamorous. And then when you get into like the into like the the uh, real aspect, there's slight tones of gray and green. Yeah, you know, so. Uh, that's like the boring stuff and then you get to these fantastic elements bright vivid yellows uh your your uh, saturated whites you mm-hmm. know so you get you get all these colors you know and, it, and it's feel and it feels uh almost magical you know and that and that's uh, and that's something to take from this is that it feels very magical it feels very personal and uh and it is a very uh very father and son story and that's that's what you could that's what you could take away from it is that it is a father son story almost spielbergian like i said before but uh it it really does bring you to this to this personal level that i i I weep for joy at at the end of every viewing of this film. So I it, it and that was what was different. I wasn't what you said is perfect. Uh, tears of joy. I was crying tears of joy, not tears of sadness. That's yeah. what was really special about it. Is that I, when 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 that scene happened, I'm like, fuck, I'm crying. What the fuck's happening? Like, <laughs> what the fuck does this come from? Why you know, am I and I'm happy. Like, <laughs> what the hell? Some kind of inside out shit just happened out of nowhere, and I'm like, damn. I, this, this this was great. I I I loved it. 
I loved it too. I liked it. <laughs> Why do you have to every damn show? I just give the poor girl a break already. Seriously. We love you, Alexis Moreno. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, how much, how long have we talked about this? Only 19 minutes about Big Fish. Um, uh, what, what else would you say? Uh, Danny DeVito is a werewolf. And that, yeah, that happened. <laughs> and that's great when he's scratching himself in the air. They find him naked in the woods <laughs> after a large turn. And all he wanted to do was just play fetch. <laughs> that's the only reason why he's so cranky is because he wanted to play fetch. That's great. I like how Steve Buscemi, he's like, never show a man a work in progress, you know. And it's just like the most... Asinine cliched poem. Roses are red, violets are blue, and it's just like never show a man. And then that whole bank robbery scene is a, is amazing, uh, only to find out that the bank was already robbed right. before. Mm-hmm. And he's like, please don't tell the locals; they'll go nuts. Um, it, there's a lot of great moments in this. Well, where movie. did you? Uh, when did you first watch Big Fish? I watched it when I was going through my Tim Burton phase. I am okay. <laughs> what, wait, you're Tim. okay. First of all, for those who are not aware, Kyle Era is a man of many phases. Okay, I'm like the <laughs> <Stylistically> doctor <laughs> and culturally, yes. Uh, but yes, I was he co- has culturally appropriate. I was discovering all of uh, Tim Burton's uh, filmography at the time because I was really inspired by what Batman did. And let me know about that. How was that like? For it you? was. It was really amazing. It was really cool. Uh, I went and saw uh, uh, the next one that I saw was Edward Scissorhands. Edward Scissorhands, I've seen Beetlejuice prior to Batman, um, and then I went and saw Big Fish, and uh, my dad had a copy of it. I'm like, this, hey, do you mind if I pop this in? Sure, pop it in. I popped it in. Amazing. I was blown away with the film. I was, like, captivated. You know, to me, something that, that truly stands with the film is that if I'm captivated from beginning to end and I was captivated from beginning to end and you know a lot of movies fail because they they have a great first act great third act but a shitty second act um or uh, or the other way around vice versa but this one captivated from beginning to end uh i was introduced to all these great great actors uh jessica lang i fell in love with uh what she does you know from this movie and since then i've you know seen american horror story feud and all that what have you um I really liked uh, a lot of elements of that, and it, for the first time, I'm like, Burton is art. <laughs> Burton is art, and that's that's what I got out of watching this one because this is like the final nail, I guess, final metaphorical nail in the artistic, uh, in tar- artistic view coffin, I guess, the way that I view his uh, his filmography, and it was like, okay. He's very artistic, and I like what he what he does artistically. And then I saw a Nightmare Before Christmas, you know. And yes, it is a Henry Selleck directed film, but look at the film; it's a Tim Burton fucking film, you know. So I saw it, you know, and it and it, it lasted into this long uh, love affair of Tim Burton. I loved uh, Sweeney Todd. Uh, Sweeney Todd was an amazing film because uh, that movie is kind of hard to interpret. 
uh, in uh, on the big screen, you know. So the way that he interpreted it, it was really cool. Um, that's why it was kind of. That's why I was so broken hearted la- uh, last year when I saw Miss Peregrine's, uh, because I've seen him at his finest. I've seen what he can do, and just it feels like a very uh, manufactured Tim Burton film. Well, with Burton, I, got, I keep saying it's very high and low. Uh, along with Miss Peregrine's, what would you say is part of his disc- discography or his filmography, I should say, that uh, more or less disappointing? Because there have been other films that he's made that weren't exactly your cup of tea. Planet of the Apes, his version of Apes was not was not good. Um, I, what else? Alice in Wonderland. Did Alice you like that in Wonderland. Or? I, I found some enjoyment out of that, yeah. you know, and uh, I'm not going to even consider the fact that through the Looking Glass it even exists. So I'll scratch, <laughs> I'll scratch that off the off the surface. Well, he didn't do that movie, so I, I don't, I don't give a shit. <laughs> um, anyway, I that's why I was so disheartened by uh, and dis- almost disenfranchised by him. Uh, because of what he he brought with Miss Peregrine's, uh, yeah, Eva, Eva Green is in it. Yeah, Samuel L. Jackson is in it. But that's the only thing that's that's interesting about the film is that these two people are in it that I like. It's that thing I like. Uh, and what really disheartened me is that I felt no enjoyment out of. But the, you like Big Eyes. I like Big Eyes. Yeah, there's a lot of things I. Hey, what about Frankenweenie? Isn't that him? Yeah. Yeah, I was like, everybody forgot about that movie. That, that that got nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah. I almost like the short film version better. Oh, okay. Uh, the one with uh, Shelley Long and uh, Daniel Stern. Mm-hmm. Um, I, because to me, it feels very uh, a student film done right kind of thing. Um, and, I, and I like when Burton kind of does that because Edward Scissorhands is almost... Uh, it's a big budget student film, right? Uh, and that's that's kind of part of the charm of uh, Edward Scissorhands. Um, and uh, I just, I don't know, uh, Miss Peregrine's did not do it for me because it was just like not interesting. It tried to be interesting, but it was failing at every level. So that that really uh, hardened my my heart, I guess. Towards uh, modern day Burton films, which breaks my heart because I love Burton. You know, I, I really love what he does. The next thing he's doing is Dumbo. <sighs> I was kind of hoping instead of Dumbo, Pinocchio, that would be more up his alley because I he could do a lot of fantastical things with Pinocchio. But alas, he's doing Dumbo, I guess. He did that. He did a circus element in Big Fish, so makes perfect sense. Oh, I think it makes perfect sense. Why not? You know, like, he's got nothing else to do. So. Um, make a make a make, well, make his the, Alice in Wonderland trilogy. Right. Yeah, I I really hope. Uh, look, I've seen more than enough of Tim Burton's great work uh, to really hope that he gets back on it because he he has comebacks. He, he, he can come back from this. It's just been a long stretch since we've had a really great Tim Burton movie. Yeah. Um, I know that there was at one point where uh, Disney was really considering him to direct a Pirates of the Caribbean movie, which I don't know how that would have worked out. I think that would have played out well. I don't know, man. It's like he... I know you and I have very different views on five and four. I think you and I disagree completely on both of those movies. Yeah. But... 
with the track record that he's had lately, I don't know it's what gonna he could be have brought. Comple- it's going to be completely different. Probably, and I yeah. would completely admire that because uh, four and five, although I like four, they're trying to capture the magic of the first one mm-hmm. too much. Um, and so, and it's just, they capture lightning in a Were bottle. Were they trying to? That was... Yeah. Oh, God. You they, and I can they, go on for hours about that. They, I, they, they can't capture lightning in a bottle twice. You know, and that's what the that's what the first Pirates of the Caribbean did. Um, oh, just just to, just to make it clear, uh, when I said we disagree, is like you like the fourth one, I don't like it. You hate the fifth one, I like it. Yeah. So that's how. But we both love Pirates of the Caribbean, so yeah, it's like so, what? I don't know. Um, yeah. If you want to check out uh, Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean, check out our audio commentaries on uh, on YouTube or right. whatever. But anyway. I, I'm I'm glad that you thoroughly enjoyed uh, I loved it It's a great film I recommend it to everyone And anyone who wants to see Both of these movies Above and beyond And I kept on saying And it's kind of like The opposite Like what you The way that you were With Boyhood to mm, me Right Like re- very reluctant To watch it Yeah I mean I knew I knew a Boyhood Was gonna be good Right um, I didn't know If you thought That Big Fish Would have been good um, I had uh, no, yeah, I thought it's just, it's just that for me, you know so, how good. Yeah, it's just I'm very reluctant in general, but yeah. it's a good thing we have this series because yeah. now it's it's allowing us to be more open with with films and to exactly. discuss them. Exactly. So, so like, if you want to watch these, go ahead. Uh, I think Boyhood's on Netflix, and Big Fish is available. Well, on DVD, Blu-ray, VOD, whatever. VOD, iTunes. Yeah. Uh, your uh, your legal ways of watching, right? Because these. it's not as if I don't know this, this podcast is hosted by some kind of illegal. Uh, we're not sorry, wrong way. The criminals. Uh, sorry, I've been watching too much. Uh, Lock her up. The musical. It, it, it's uh, something that you know. Okay, this turned uh, very sour really quick. Um, I'm I'm Kyle Lira. Uh, check out our other podcast. Hey, uh, where can people find me? What are you talking about? You can find him here at uh, Great The Alexis on Twitter. Great The Alexis on Twitter. Also on BNC, we're doing some brand new Marvel videos. We catch one on Captain America: Civil War. And so, guys, watch uh, watch uh, several several minutes of them. And also make sure sucking the Marvel teeth. You can uh, catch our audio commentaries uh, when we have them every Saturday, and every- almost depending on depending right. on the if on the we week. have them or not. Yeah, this but- this week we have a uh, we have a uh, Batman v Superman right coming right. out on Saturday. Right, so uh, be stay tuned for that. It's going to be also such we have a pleasure. We have more uh, we have more to the tables coming up. The next one we're going to do is uh, I had Peter watch uh, Metallica through the never and then uh, you're such <laughs> a monster. I'll never watch that movie again as long as I live. And then uh, and then he had me watch uh, Split. Uh, so I don't think that was fair at all. <laughs> <laughs> could we be very split on the decisions? Stay tuned. Also, every Sunday, catch our main podcast. Yeah. We have one coming up. Our 60th podcast is coming up this coming Sunday. 60. Holy shit. Uh, and whatever you do, just listen to the first five minutes. If that's all you have time, trust me, it is worth your time. The first five minutes are absolute 
magic. Get ready for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Also, one more thing. Uh, catch Alexis Moreno on more nonsense. We're exactly. having uh, more videos coming on there pretty soon. YouTube. So check out all our content. We have a shit ton of content coming up soon. Uh, and we'll come very shortly. Uh, I'm Kyle Lira. Catch you guys under the spotlight and uh, we'll have more to the table pretty soon. Bye. Bum, 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 bum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.